Welcome to the Coach's Edge podcast dedicated to teaching, sharing, and learning the game. Thank you for joining us today. And if you're new to the Coach's Edge, it is what it sounds like. We want to help you give you an edge as a basketball coach, whether that's coaching your team or running an entire program. This episode, as you saw from the link, is about modern post-play with Coach Matt Neal. He's got a ton of experience. He was at Hope College coaching for 30 years, 26 as an assistant, four as a head coach. He won the Glenn Robinson National Coach of the Year Award in 2012. That's a pretty big deal. And he's developed numerous All-American post players. He continues to train, working with players from the youth level all the way on up to pro. But as we dig into modern post play with the game changing so much he offers great detail on what players and coaches can do to be successful within the modern game that's back to the basket post play that's facing up and he gives some great progressions on how players can face up and attack that's talking about ball screens the ball screen becomes more and more common at all levels and he also breaks down some great finishing tips and moves that players can use this is also part one of two Our second part of the episode comes out tomorrow and he talks a little bit about how players and coaches could do a better job of guarding a high level post player. And he also digs into leadership, something that he is very passionate about, continues to speak with many groups and individuals about about how they can positively impact other people, the group, the environment that they're around for the greater good. Man, I'm, I'm so excited to, to get this podcast going. I'm going to stop talking right now. Let's get to the episode. Before we get into our interview, we'd like to thank our sponsor for this episode, Richardson Automotive of Standish and Gladwin, serving mid-Michigan in the thumb with their big three automotive needs. They have a wide range of products from Chevy, Buick, Ford, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, and Ram. They also have a large selection of pre-owned vehicles. With one of the largest selections of trucks in the state, they are sure to fit your needs. Standish and Gladwin, our truck country, stop in and see them today. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, they will get you right. When I lived in Ohio, I still went all the way up to Standish because I knew they were going to take care of me when it came to getting a new vehicle. Richardson Automotive of Standish and Gladwin, they are all about service. Coach Matt Neal, welcome to the Coach's Edge podcast. I'm really excited about our subject today. Thank you for joining us. Hey, Steve, thank you so much for the invitation. I'm excited to to reconnect with you and to talk a little bit about some hoops and leadership. Thank you for the invite. No, post play and leadership, those are some two uh, pretty great, great topics uh, that we're going to dig into deep. But before we get into some of those more specific topics, can you share with us a little bit of kind of how you got your start with with coaching? You know, you obviously were a, a player, MIAA MVP in college. You know, what transitioned afterward? Well, I think that, that one of the things just in in life in general, you feel called to do things, and I felt called to be to be involved in education, to to give back. I I've always enjoyed young people, and so that was a natural move for me to to be to get into education, being a being an athlete, thinking I wanted to coach. And so I started teaching and coaching in Holland, Michigan. And um, I had a middle school teaching job and a ninth grade basketball coaching job. That was my very first first gig. And um, I had a, a bunch of five foot six slow guys. <laughs> and we learned to work hard. And it was a lot of fun. And so I, that, that whole thing progressed. I moved up in the high school ranks with those same kids had them as junior varsity players and we won our last game of the year and that would have been our only win of the year that year (laughs) and um, the next year I had kids again had the JV team again didn't win a game so me wanting to be a coach took a really um, it it was there were some speed bumps and so I had to look at it and think gosh do I really want to do this do I want to really want to teach if I can't coach because at that point, my lifetime record was like, I don't know, seven and 30, something like that. And so I, I was then asked to come to Hope College and be, a, be an assistant and coach the JV team. 
And believe it or not, that first semester, we were 0-6. So now I'm really, I'm really looking at it like, man, I don't know if this is for me. But of course, then things turned around and guys gelled. It was all about, in the collegiate level, it's about building chemistry and finding your leaders, finding the guys who will carry the ball, so to speak. And uh, um, so then it just progressed. And then I coached the JV team at Hope College in Holland for nine years. Um, I know a great place for you. It was, I got a chance to recruit guys like you, but then I, I became the, the uh, varsity assistant after that. And I was, I was at Hope a total of 26 years as an assistant. And then after that was named the head coach and was that for four. And uh, it was uh, a great, great run. Great run for me because I got to coach some incredibly awesome young men. It's, um, you know, some, a great impact was, was made, obviously great memories over the years. And now you're continuing to, to coach and do some training. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I have, I have my own company. It's my own training business called Matt Neal Training. And um, very similar to Steve Kramer basketball. Um, I have um, a court at my house where I do a lot of individual work. I've trained kids from the elementary level to the NBA. And uh, still Jordan Morgan comes back home from his European trip and uh, where he plays and, and comes back every summer, comes over to visit Grant when Grant's home from Arizona. And I put him through a workout or two. It's always fun. Um, but I'm right now working with, with a lot of high school athletes, guys, girls, one-on-one. So we're able to keep the social distancing thing going and um, kids who really want to get better. And as you know, you become you become a better player in the off season. You know, you're not during the season. That's all great. Practice is awesome, but you really become a good player in the off season. And, and so I do a lot of things, Steve, with flex band training, with speed, agility, quickness, with basketball stuff, obviously with ball. I use a lot of your drill work um, with my, with my guards and so forth, but even the bigs, I, I put them through it because yeah, I mean, as as you know, the, the post game has changed, and so they have to be able to handle the ball better. So I I do that, and um, and I still go to go to camps when camps are going, and and I'm a guest speaker once in a while at different places. I go to Michigan State, probably, I would say two times a month, maybe go down to practice, just sit in, offer some feedback every now and again but just go and watch and stay up to date with things. So oh, that's not, great. Far away, not far away from the game. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as you mentioned, post play has changed a lot, especially in what I would say the last 10 to 10 to 15 years in particular. Oh, yeah. um, so in today's game, what are some of the key ter- characteristics that are needed to develop a solid post player? Well, I think that, you know, that, a few years back, the whole concept of the face-up four or the face-up five man, you know, the guy who can, can catch the ball at the high post and turn and face and can still shoot that 15 to 18 footer, but still isn't afraid to go down and, and play with his back to the basket, has really transformed. I think that Coach Beeline, who's a great friend, um, you know, when he was at Michigan, we connected a lot, but he took, he took that proverbial big man and made him into a big man who can step out and shoot the three. I mean, if you look at all of his players, going back to the – I can't remember the guy's name. Um, Pitsnoggle. Virginia. Remember Pitsnoggle? Pitsnoggle. Yeah, yeah. Pitsnoggle. Yeah. 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 He was the, the classic – I remember seeing a game and when he, he pick, and, pick and popped for the first time and pulled that three like it was nobody's business. And I'm thinking, what in the world? Well, that became a trademark for, for Coach Beeline's team. And those guys who could still go down and beat the tar out of you in the paint, but he could also step out, pick and pop and shoot the three or trail on a, on a fast break, catch it on a swing and pull from three. Who would have thought a six eleven guy was going to do that or a seven footer, you know? Yeah. He so reminded think, me of a, like a poor man's Kevin Love. Yes. Yeah. Very much so. And so when you think of, <coughs> excuse me, think of even Kevin Love when he was, at, when he was in college at UCLA and, he was shooting the ball from out and now what is his game? I mean, he shoots it from deep all the time, but he still could go down and post up. Um, so I think one of the things that, 
that is important for for young men, young women who are who are learning to learning post play is don't forget that part of the game. Don't forget that perimeter piece because this everything with and and you can credit credit coach Calipari to this everything with the dribble drive and pitch it out well you could end up being a postman steps out and you better be able to shoot it and because you know most times people are going to stay off you um so that's when i'm working with kids a lot i i I work on all of the game but that is a part of it is that being able to turn and face from out being able to catch it from 15 to 18 and do something with it um so maybe it's not so much we're making it a post player, but we're making an all-around player. Yeah. How do you, as a coach, how do you balance, you know, when you're training a, a player who's, who's one of the biggest players on their team, which you, you work with a lot of high-level basketball players, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how do you balance the amount of time and the focus and energy that they put into working on their perimeter game compared to working on their post play, which in – many, many occasions is a lost art right now. Right. Well, you know, that's a, that's a really great question. And in my training regimen that I have set up, and I just did this last week on Wednesday, Thursday with, with a young woman um, who's being recruited by Michigan State, is that um, we work one day on all perimeter stuff. I mean, it, it's an hour-long workout, and she's dog-tired by the time she's done. But I put her through something and she turns and I mean, a lot of, a lot of perimeter work, catching the ball, going to the basket, shot fake, one bounce, pull up and you know, that mid range jump shot. Um, so we spent one day on all of that. And I said, now when we come back tomorrow, it's going to be all post play. And so then I, I start Steve really right from the, from the ground up with every, no matter what the level. I mean, even I mentioned, you know, I mentioned Jordan Morgan, even with Jordan, we worked at, catching the ball, posting it up, solid base with his feet, because that's where it all begins. But a solid base with his feet, a good post up with his arm bars, because a lot of guys nowadays are they're holding somebody off or putting their hand up or what, you know, that way. And I teach it the old Don Meyer way from, from Lipscomb University is that you sit down, arm bars, and, and then we build from there. But we start very, very basic even a one hand pass and catch, one hand pass and catch. It's super simple, no matter who they are, because I want them to, to, to learn the basics as we and, and progress the way that I usually have them progress. Um, so I go every other day to answer the question more specifically. I, I, I basically, now if I only have a, a player working out one day a week, heaven forbid that, um, then I split the time, try to split it evenly. But you know, post play is something that, and it is kind of a lost art, but it's something that, that players have to want to do. They can't shy away from contact. Um, I always, I'm working right now with a, with a, a young man who's going to be very, very good, who's 6'11". And uh, the first thing I had him do at my house, and I just had painted my, my key and my three-point line and all this stuff, but I had him walk all the way up the lane line across the free throw line and down the other lane line. And I said, you have to be determined mentally to own this part of the, of the court. You have to, you have to come up with your real estate sign, the Steve Kramer real estate sign that says, boom, I'm going to own this paint. And so um, a lot of what I do, to be honest, is, is in here mm-hmm. is to get, get the kid mentally prepared i i tell them often i'll get you physically there i promise you that the mental part you have to really really focus on yourself too and believe that you can do this and and so you know getting a kid to play in the paint i mean they just have to they have to get a little toughness they have to have mm-hmm. that little i call it the junkyard dog mentality mm-hmm. you know i've coached several all americans and and those post players who have really excelled have been the guys who have decided, you know what, I'm just going to get this done and I'm going to work hard because I've had six eleven guys who are who are good players but not great players. But I've had six seven post kids who are tougher than nails. And you know, I mean, you think about when you played with Marcus. You know, Marcus came in kind of could shoot it. That he was that 
that mix of a post guy who could shoot it from out. But when Marcus got a little ticked and decided he was going to take care of it in the paint, he took care of it in the paint. And so, you know, we've had several guys like that. So it, it's, it's a matter of the mental piece too, that, that, um, that goes along with it. No, that's so, that's so true with, with basketball and, and in life. If, if you don't have a first upstairs, it's, it's very hard to, to get it done with, you know, from a physical standpoint, you know, you have to accept the, the challenge and be mentally tough first yeah. and then say, you know, it's all right, let's, well, now let's make this happen. And I think, and I think that that coincides Steve with the fact that, that if a young man or young woman want to get better, they, they really have to make that conscious decision mentally that I'm going to do this. It's not going to be easy. It's, I'm going to sweat. I'm going to work till I'm exhausted. You know, the lactic acid buildup is going to be huge because of how hard I work. Um, you know, and I, I always tell kids, if we're working hard and you have to vomit, do it. Because your body will then replenish and you'll be ready to go right away. But if you try to hold that, all that in, you're never going to, re- you're, you're going to hold back on everything we do. So. Well, I can speak firsthand to, to some of that. I never vomited in some of your workouts, but I do remember uh, plenty, plenty workouts uh, where, where I got lightheaded. So um, yeah, there's definitely a so, mental toughness aspect that, that goes into fighting through some challenges, no doubt about it. <laughs> well, and, I, and, I often, and I often think this, Steve, that, that your job as a trainer, my job as a trainer, as a coach, our job is to get kids to a spot where they don't think they can go any further and then convince them that they can. You know, I mean, that's the, um, you know, in my training business long ago, I trained competitive cheerleaders and people often will, they'll, they'll dismiss that as something that's not really a sport. And I always tell people this, okay, if you can stand right where you are, jump straight up in the air, do a back tuck and land in the same position, just you go ahead and try that. You tell me if, if these aren't athletes, you go ahead and try it. And then you tell me about it. You know, of course they can't, but I will tell you some of the hardest workers are those, those kids who they understood the need to put in the time. And, mm-hmm. and, and again, it's like anything else in life. If, if you want it bad enough, you'll do it. Yeah. That's a great, whatever point. that is, yeah. whatever it is. So, so we've touched on some of the mental aspect. We've talked about, you know, some of the key characteristics kind of starting from the ground up with a post player touched a little bit on how the game is, the game is changing. So, so with the, keeping those things in mind, what are some of the areas that you see post play being most effectively used in today's game? Well, I think we, we touched on it with, with coach Beeline's, um, his his offense, his philosophy, he, he used that pick and pop a lot. I think that that, and if you have, if you have, a, have players who can, who can score from the outside, if you have players who can go off the bounce pretty well, and you can throw in a flat screen that allows a, a guy to have some creativity. I remember, I remember with you, quite frankly, I mean, that was, that was a, a quite just a couple of years ago, Kram. But I remember giving you, a, we're just going to go flat screen for you and let you do whatever you wanted right, left, how it didn't make, didn't, didn't matter. We were just going to all read, spread the floor, flat screen and, and go off. If you can, if you can have a guy who can do that, a post player who can do that and then be able to be a threat and step and shoot. I think that that's, that's important. I think that, that um, oftentimes, you know, the art of, of post play together two post players is, is something that that's almost a lost art. People will say, you know, while we have the point guard who's the one man, we have our shooting guard who's the two, we have our shooting forward who is the three, we have our power forward who is the four, we have our postman who is the five. Well, that's evolved into four guards and a big, you know, um, often not the most successful in, the, in many cases. Some guys are able to do it, but you have to remember, if we're, most of the teams who do that, who are really good, are the guys who's whose shooting guard is 6'7", whose who's wingman is 6'8", his foreman is 6'10", their big is 7'0". 
they're, they're those, they're that kind of player. But I think that, um, that for a, for a post player to be effective nowadays and, and for a young high school kid who wants to be recruited, um, I think that, that one of the things that they, they really need to, to focus on is to be that multifaceted guy or gal, to be someone who can take a ball on a swing pass for on the top of the key and be able to pull it, but can also walk straight at you, walk you right into the paint, step across a leg and post up. And, uh, and again, it's, I'm, I'm starting to think mechanics now, but it's all, all of that. And to be able to post up um, in, a, in a strong position to be able to then, then do something in, in, in the ba- at the basket. And I often tell people to keep it simple. Um, you know, I think that if you have a couple of go-to moves that you're really good at, you're going to get those. No matter how you're defended, you're going to be able to figure that out. Um, and so my, my development of post players is incredibly basic. It's, it's super basic that where I, I work on <clears throat> just a couple of, of different things. One, and I don't know if this is the right time to talk about that. Go ahead. But, go ahead. Um, yeah, I, think, I think one, one, of my, one of my things is this, Steve, that, that the, the post-play game is something that is, is incredibly simple, that if a guy can ju- just catch the basketball and look over the same shoulder every time, simplify it that much so that it's not, gosh, I don't know where people are. So one, I tell guys, make contact. That's the first thing. Secondly, post up strong, good solid base, arm bars. And the next part, the next piece of it is jump, catch, chin. I always tell people that's a simple thing to remember. You can say it to yourself a hundred times. Jump, catch, chin. Jump to the ball, catch the ball, chin the ball. So I want to interrupt you real quick because I think yeah. this, is, this is a huge detail that jump, catch, chin. And, and so when we jump, catch, chin, you're – you're catching the basketball and you have either foot to pivot off of. There you go. Which I think is, which I think is uh, just a, a small little detail that can make a huge mm-hmm. difference in gaining, you know, an inch, six inches, 12 inches around the basket. So sorry, sorry to interrupt. I just thought that was no, a great, great that, piece no, of content. It's a great complimentary statement that that's exactly why you do it. You jump, catch, chin, <clears throat> so that you have each, you have, you, you determine how you're going to go. And that's, so then the next move then is you jump, catch, chin, and just to look over the shoulder. You've got the ball and you look over shoulder. No, if I always tell people, if nobody's there, you better be going. Get a good drop step that way. And, and again, I, I teach kids how to use their body. Um, pivoting is huge. You know, you can, you can have a spin move right away and go and that's quick but i i often and i don't teach a spoon of a lot i teach a real hard seal with a drop step seal either way to put a person on your back on your butt so that you can get to the basket to give you that extra six inches 12 inch whatever it is to get to the basket um but but one of the things that i that i often teach so looking over that one shoulder if the person isn't there, and of course, as an offensive player, you've initiated the contact, so you have a feel for where the person is. But if they're not there, you're going to go. If they are there, go the other way. I mean, it's, so, it's that simple. If, if you can look over your left shoulder and see them, go the other way. Just drop step with your, with your right foot. Um, the, the biggest difficulty for kids is when they don't feel anybody. They look, and they don't see anybody. They don't feel anybody. And they're like, uh, what do I do? And of course, that's, that's the inevitable turn and face. Turn and face and find them. And if, if you don't feel them, that means that there's a chance that there's a distance between you that's enough for you to pivot and take a nice little short jump shot. And, and so when you turn and pivot and, and take a look, I mean, first time, I'll guarantee you, you're going to pull that little, that little eight-foot bank shot and you're going to score. The next time that you don't feel them and you turn and face, what are they going to do? They're going to come flying at you. So you give them a little shot fake and you just step through without even a bounce. Just a shot fake and a pivot through and a score. Um, getting kids to understand the footwork. And it's so imperative, coaches, when you're working with your athletes to really work at that solid base because the body only goes where the feet go. So 
let's let's work at the feet and and get them in a in a position where a it's super solid to begin with and b that any movement you make is going to be effective you don't you don't have wasted and so um i think that that those if we can simplify it that way you can take down to the elementary school level i mean i've watched some of your videos and your drills and so forth kids in your camp would benefit greatly when they just learn how to jump catch chin look go done next thing jump catch chin look go the other way and so four basic moves drop step to the baseline drop step to the middle turn and face on the baseline with a little little jump shot turn and face middle with a jump shot and then we build on those basic moves where we shot fake step through um i am you're, you're way too young to remember this guy but jack sigma was a great player for this for the seattle supersonic and jack played at illinois wesleyan a division three school and um was 611 and made famous the jump catch chin back pivot shot right now he back pivoted and i i don't teach that much because on the other side of the ball i teach how to defend it if a guy back pivots you step right up you put your foot right right between his so you're so talking you to catch and get into that that back reverse pivot and then you're shooting yep. it right away off that right away right away He'd catch that thing, he'd back pivot and take, and now 6'11", he's got this ball up here. And so he back pivots and goes right up and shoots it. And he was a killer with it. Anywhere from, you know, 15 to 20, he was money with that stuff. But I can it see was, how that'd was, be a tough shot because, you know, you're, you're almost in a movement and then already up into the shot. Guys aren't expecting you or girls aren't expecting you to shoot it right away. And you got to get out no. that contest quick. I mean, that, that's a... Yeah, tough, tough shot to to teach, I think. But if you got that down, that's that's a great shot to have in your bag. And it's a, and you're right that it's a tough shot to teach. Another reason it's tough is that your momentum is saying everything but go up. You think about it. You're backing away from. You're backing away. You know, I I I will remember this, and it, and it's not to keep referring to you, but I do remember that my friend Ron Ron Williams told me one time. He said, you watch Steve Kramer jump. You wonder why he can jump so well? Watch his movement. And we watched, we, we took video. He took video of your feet. Your feet weren't wide apart. Your feet came together. They came a little closer, but it was always a one-two. I always call it a step one-two. Step one-two, and then you went up. And that's the hard part about that reverse pivot. You don't have that step motion into your shot. It's a step back. And so it's a hard, it's a hard one to teach, really hard to teach. No, that's, so, that's uh, some great detail. I love that you're breaking down, you know, specific, specific moves, meet the, the baseline, the drop step, going middle, turn and face if they're not, if they're not there. Um, mm -hmm. what, are, what are some of the other points that you would teach uh, when it comes to showing your players how to finish at the rim? Well, I think one of the things is don't be afraid to use the rim as a protector. Sometimes going under the rim, is, is a good thing if you can step strong and, and finish using the rim as something that helps. Um, one of the things that, that I often utilize, obviously you learn to use the shot fake. And if you drop step and somebody in, and you go up the first time and score, the next time that you go that way, they're going to come to block it hard. Well, give them a little shot fake and they're going to land on you, but learn how to learn how to finish and power up, go right at that thing. I I have a pad, believe it or not. You know, I have that one of those big pads that you bang on people. You remember that probably all too well. Is that so let me interrupt you real quick with a with a short yeah. story. My senior year, you got the pad out, and we're doing finishing drills. You know, get it on the wing, rip, drive to the basket, working on some different finishes. You got the pad out, and uh, you take a swipe. You probably don't remember this. You take a swipe with the pad, but you miss me with the pad. And you hit me with your fist. You had one of those big giant rings. Basically, I got—I remember getting punched right in the chin at practice, and just kind of slowly, slowly walking back to the to the other side of the line. You're like, mm, I would have—I would have really preferred the pad on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that. I—I 
I thought you were going to make mention of, I, and I think it might have been, I think it might have been Marcus, to be honest with you, Marcus Vanderheide, with your group, that we were doing something, and I was beating on him, and he just got really ticked and just came at me and just leveled me. And, and I remember getting him saying, that's what I need from you. I need that kind of toughness, you know, um, where because it didn't anger me whatsoever. I was thought, okay, good, I got to him. I got to him enough that now he understands how strong he can be. And again, that's that mental piece. And I thought Marky did a good job of learning how to, because, because he needed that and he really came on strong with it. Um, But again, that stuff, you know, some, I, I heard this once, Steve, that a guy, a soccer coach told me this. He said, your kids come out of the womb as either attackers or defenders. So I started thinking about that and thinking, huh, there are guys who are really aggressive, who really go with the basket. You know, I mean, they're aggressors. They're, they're going to create their own shot. They're going to do, do whatever. And so I started to apply that same soccer statement to basketball. I thought, wow, it's true. Because my two sons, you know, they both played, played basketball for me, but they were both incredibly good soccer players and they were defenders. Their mentality wasn't like, I'm going to catch it and shoot it every time, or I'm going to catch it and go to the basket every time. It was more of, I'll catch it, survey the situation. It's more like a defender, a little bit more um, cerebral, perhaps, analytical of what's going on, and then make the move versus somebody who's just going to get it and go. You know, I mean, it's, and, and I thought, wow, that really is true. You know, you think of a kid in soccer, you got that kid who plays the, he's the, I used to call them strikers. They don't call them strikers anymore. There's, you know, they're forwards or whatever. They take off and they, they would, they'd go score a goal. You have other guys who are defenders. Hey, I'm going to stay back here. I'm going to make sure nobody gets to my goal. But it's, but it's really, really true. And so part of it is in this game is can you transform a young man or young woman from being that laid back, analytical cerebral kind of a player into a fierce attacker it's hard to do really hard to do so you have to just get them to the best level you can because you're never going to you're never going to take somebody and say ah he's just going to be that kid who catches he's going to fire every time he's going to go to the basket or his first look is to score you know most guys first look is who's open closer to the basket Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. uh, that's how a defender personality would think so um, it's interesting. It, it, yeah, that it, is uh, interesting. I've never heard it like that, but that does make a, make a lot of sense. And as you were talking about finishing, you, you talked about using the, the rim as protection from the defender, which is funny. I just ran a camp in Ohio last week, and we worked a lot on finishing, shooting and finishing. And one of the basic main moves that I recommended for my players to work on more was a reverse layup for mm-hmm. – for that reason, using the net, right. the backboard, the rim uh, for protection. Could, should, could you go in a little more detail of, you know, why that's effective, why you brought that up, uh, as well as any other finishes that you recommend? Sure, sure. I think, that, I think the big thing with using the rim, and I think it's important that, to do this, that, that, that as a player goes up, it's not, it's not a um, come underneath the basket, finish with your right hand on the left side of the basket. I mean, to me, that's like putting a putting a. Uh, this is my personal opinion. It's like putting a cup out on a on a on a saucer, and somebody can just swipe that thing because you're you're totally exposed. The the front of you then would be facing the free throw line, so you would come up underneath, and that would they would see you. Versus coming up underneath and using your body and finishing with your left hand on the left side or your right hand on the right side. Um, those are my preferences. Super basic fundamental right down to back to coach wooden teaching it all days you know but that was it's such a simple way to do it um but to finish again coming in with a reverse layup underneath i choose to do that because you're right the net gets in the way of a defender the rim gets in the way of a defender and why not use something that's already there for yourself versus versus having to try to create something even more um the other finish that I've gone to a little bit more so, Steve, than, than I had before is that nice little floater in the middle of the lane. Um, you know, somebody comes in from the wing 
and they shot fake somebody, they get them loose and they're coming down the lane. And now they've got, they've got this, uh, this huge, some, you know, a postman coming from the weak side to defend, learn to float that. There's nothing, that's a nice little compliment. Um, a compliment to the pull-up jump shot. Um, conversely, I also talk about some great power moves from the elbow that, that I teach bigs to do quite often. And I, and it's, and it's a turn and face. I call it a turn and face step one, two. And so what that looks like is if a, if a, a player flashed to the high post and caught the ball, and I always talk about turning, turning your inside foot pivot. So if you're, if I'm flashing from right to left, as you look at the hoop, um, turning on your inside right foot pivot. So, because that's closest. And I, and I always say this, I believe in, in the, this isn't to take away from anybody who believes in a rear pivot. I believe in that front pivot because it shows aggressiveness. It shows that you're in control. It shows you're going to do something and you're going to make the defense react to you versus letting them determine, you know, the back pivot I mentioned earlier with Sigma, mm-hmm. how I, how I teach the, to defend that is if a guy back pivots, you step right up in between, right, right up in, and you come right up in him but your foot is right between his. Now he's, he's toast. He's stuck. So, so the, 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 this move, this turn and face step one, two, you turn and face inside foot pivot, give a, you can always shoot that 15 footer. That's right from the free throw line. I mean, every person should be able to make 10 in a row of those things or work to, you can make 10 in a row or more. But so you turn and face, you give a little shot bake and you rip through low shoulder i'm big on i've really been big on that part about teaching the low shoulder coming off of coming off of a ball screen or making a making a one-on-one move to go by somebody Mm -hmm. because if you think biomechanically when that shoulder goes down you immediately gain three or four inches on your defender by going by so step one two and it's a hard two-hand bounce and it's a, so it's a step with your left foot coming through and a boom, boom with your right left. And you go up off of two feet to avoid the help. Because if you, if you think about it in your mind, you turn and face, if you go step, if you go step with your left foot and then you go right, left and go up off of your left foot for a layup, someone could be there and take a charge and you can't do anything about it. I mean, you are committed to that and you're going to hit them and <laughs> game's over. So that step one, two is then to be able to go off of two feet, avoid the charge. So we put that together with that floater and they become two different finishes on the exact same move in the lane. Right. You have the ability to go power finish or more of a, a touch finish, or a finish off the same yeah. move. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. When you're working with a, a player, um, you talked about the, the floater as well as the you know I, th- I think of the jump hook and I think where a lot of players can find success is if they go in and this is this is for players of all positions but I think bigs can really use this especially is you know we're all familiar with the traditional jump hook but I find it almost easier if they turn it into it's like a half hook half floater right where they're uh-huh their shoulder is still to the defense. So they have some separation. They can mm-hmm. take some contact, but instead of shooting a traditional jump hook with it, they put a little more arc on it. A little more touch on it is going to soften the shot when it, when it hits the rim. And so I find a lot of success with players combining what would be a, a jump hook and a floater into kind of a hybrid. And that's really worked well with, with a lot of the players that I've worked with. That's a, that's a great point. And it's, and it's a great, it's a, it's another tool to put in the arsenal, you know, just another, another way. The other thing that I like about you're talking about catching and attacking from the, the elbow is if, if we drive and we're on two feet, we can avoid the charge. We can go more finesse, finish, a power finish, or because we have both feet down, we can get into all of our shot fake reads as well. Exactly. Right. And, you know, exactly. you, touched on shot fakes a little bit, but I, I just think so many people think they're a shot, flo- shot blocker, but they're not. And, and <laughs> they should probably just wall up, put their hands up and say, Hey, you got to shoot it over top of me. Um, you know, right. maybe, the, but they're going to go flying. And so being able to have the footwork necessary um, to, right. to have that is a great advantage that you're giving your players as well. This, 
this gal that I'm training right now, who's who's a six two tenth grader, is um, she played an AAU thing last weekend, and she and I said, well, just fill me in because I I haven't watched you. Fill me in on what's working for you. And she said, you know, I when I turn in face, I just give a little. She said I played against this girl who was six seven, so I gave her a little shot fake, and she tried. She went for it every time. I would shot fake, and I just step through without a dribble, and just step through and shoot a little hook. And I thought, you know, good for her that she's understanding what works. She found had a defender who was going to bite on that little shot fake. And you're right. People love the block shot, even mm-hmm. though they can't. But they think they can. Yeah, absolutely. So this is great. I love the detail. You've broken down different moves and, and progressions, which, I mean, that's what every coach wants is, is not just, hey, use this move, use this move. You've kind of pieced them together, which is really useful for anybody that's listening. Um, now, with the, with the modern game, the ball screen is becoming even a, a bigger and bigger part of the game. We've touched on it a little bit. I think I uh, heard a, a stat. We had John Spruance, who is a former Hope, Hope College guy, and I think he shared with me that over 70% of college possessions last season or the season before had some type of a, a ball screen. So yeah. what are some of the things that you can teach – your bigs on being effective and how to complement the ball screen? Well, I think one of the things is that, uh, and, I, and I approach it <clears throat> from, from the standpoint of what is, what is the defender of the big, what does he have to do? What does he or she have to do? And one of the things that they have to go with them, they have to go with, they have to go with the person that they're, that they're guarding. And so, so I often refer to it as a sprint screen. And so you're starting from down below. And if you watch any Division I teams right now, you'll see that all the time, that the big sprints out and sets that ball screen. You know, I think that Matt Nover, long time ago, long, long time ago player at Indiana, was made, his, his name was made famous basically because he was such a good screener. Dick Vitale really um, – really honed in on what he does for a team. Well, that was screens everywhere, but with a ball screen as well. Part of it is if, if, a, if, a, if a person is going to go set that ball screen, if you sprint to the ball screen, now your defender has, is going to follow you. And so now you make a read on the defender. And I, and I still think this, that, it, it's, that ball screen will only be as effective as the, as the person with the ball is at setting them up. And so on the other side of it, the perimeter side of it, I'll teach, I'll teach kids, give a good hard jab, even, even not a big step with your foot, but a, a, a little step and a shoulder so that people think you're going to go and then come back off a ball screen the other way. I mean, you know, as well as I, you know, I, mean, I taught, <clears throat> I taught you guys two directional cuts either the ball to the basket or to the basket to the ball. Those two things. Same thing is true here. You're either going to go at the basket and then come hard off that ball screen or go at the ball screen and beat the guy going the other way. He gets so worried about the ball screen that, that that person has to be a good read. Because you've seen it and you've done it many times. Somebody's coming down, the, they're, they're thinking, oh, I'm going to beat the screen. I'm going to go behind. And you pull and you shoot it. Um, <clears throat> I think that the screener has to understand that piece of it too. So I always tell people, put the shoulder right between your chest. That's where you're going to hit. That's where that screen's going to be set yourself up so that as as and then you as the screener read that defender on the the ball the ball defender if he if he or she goes behind rear pivot make that make that screen now not not three and a half feet wide make it seven feet wide because you come and set it now now that person is going to roll behind they try to beat it behind you rear turn just rear and roll them behind you um and it de- it depends on where where the de- the this the defender of the screener is too by by the sprint screen now the defender's coming almost out of balance sometimes all right and so if you set a good screen oftentimes your guard can go right right by the guy who's coming to defend be- because he's out of balance and that's that's a big part of the sprint thing again reading reading the defender is huge for a screener and if you want to, and, and, it, and of course, coaches, you guys can, can all adapt this to what you do. I did a thing 
I know my last few years as being the head coach at Hope is that I had guys who, who we could do this. We would let the guy beat the screen. We would say, okay, set up your screen so that the defender beats it, and then he's going to come right, on, right back off of you the other way. So effective. And so, so you complement that with a good, hard, bone-jarring screen on a guy, and all of a sudden now, now he doesn't know what, which way to turn. So, so to, to break that a little bit further, you set that screen so no longer are we going to set it so his shoulder hits you square in the chest. We're going to set it a little lower. We're going to let him beat that screen. And then it's just a, just a front turn, and you get him peeling back the other, and your guard comes back the other way. And now, now you, the, the beauty of that, Steve, is that most times then the defender of the screener is already out there ready for that ball screen coming off. He's going to be there to hedge or help or something. So if you let that guy go through, now you have both defenders on the same side. And you, you just front turn and get the guy peeling back. And now the big, the, the, the screener's defender is out of position. He's still back on the strong side. And now you're coming back and you've got a wide open. And, and it's so effective. Oh, so this effective. Is great. I mean, I love the, you know, if they're going under, you're, you're pivoting back underneath. You, know, you mm-hmm. basically have two screens right there, really pinning and making it easy for the guard to just pull it um, or right. forcing a switch. Right, because if if you get the guard that deep, a lot of times the big is going to have to guard the ball handler. You're forcing a switch. Now you have a mismatch. You can take them down in the post, which is another great option. And then you mm-hmm. talked about that rescreen variation on on the other way, where you let that guard go high. I mean, these are just yep. these are just great uh, coaching points, not just post play points, but just great teaching points for anybody to apply to their game. Right. Of, you know, if I'm if I'm a defender on the ball. Oh, you know, they're not really setting that good a screen tonight. I can get over this real easy. You know, actually, it was just a setup. And now I'm getting mm-hmm. smoked as I try to fight you through get the get smoked screen. going the other way. And I well, got and no I think, help on the big either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and I think then the other thing then that, that complements it so well, then, is if your big can really fully understand that, now he or she can come up, sprint screen, whoo, slip the thing, boom, pass going to the basket. Now the defender is already chasing you because you sprinted out. And now they're already setting up because they think the ball screen is going to come on the high side maybe. And you slip that screen and you, you end up going to the basket. And well, I ran a couple of great sets. Like the, the, and it was totally – I think about it. And we scored so many times. It was just a setup. You know, it was, it was a setup on things. We'd throw the ball, ball screen, come off it. No, because we ran somebody else to the baseline. And so we would sprint screen with a big. The guy would come off toward the high post, see what we got. On the backside, we have a down screen for a shooter. Well, so on that same strong side, we would throw it there. Guy would sprint screen. He'd pitch it to the guy down on the baseline, and the big would just slide. All the help was gone, and every time it was a two-hand rocket dunk for our big. And, <laughs> Wide and open, it was, yeah. oh my gosh, because everything was gone. Mm-hmm. They were worried about the they were worried about the down screen on the backside because the shooter was over there, and and we had we had already run the point guard. The ball went to the to the wing, ran the point guard all the way through to the baseline. So his help, he was all all down there, and they pitch it down there, and then the big just slides. It was. One of the best plays ever. And it was absolutely a theft of mine. I stole it from somebody else. <laughs> how coaching is, right? You know? No, that's great Make stuff. Fun. Hey, we're all learning from one another. No, no doubt yeah. about it. Um, is there, you talked about slipping screens, which I feel like is much more common in today's game. Is there something that you teach your bigs on how to read, when to, you know, if, if the coaches and the system is more so, hey, we're just playing. Like, read the game, play the game. You could, yeah, you could right. screen and roll. What are some mm-hmm. of the things that you teach with your bigs on how to know if they should slip that screen? Well, I, the biggest thing is if you get, if you get a guy, if, it, if it's a constant defend by beating it high, I mean, obviously that, that's when the, the slip of the screen is going to work. Because if a guy is trying to beat high, I dare bet most times the, the, the defender of the big is going to step out to hedge. All right, and so either the guy's going to continue to fight high or he's going to go underneath his hedge man 
you know, the hedge man's job is to belly out the ball, the, the ball handler. So he's either going to continue beating high and the hedge guy is there just in case he gets beat or the hedge man steps a little higher and the defender on the ball goes be, between the big and the hedge man and goes underneath the hedge guy to get to it. That when, when you start, when you have a team defending that way, that's when the big and the, and the ball handler have to recognize, okay, a sprint screen, the hedge man's out, just, I'm going to go, I'm going to go right now. And, and it has to be set up. I mean, it's, it's not anything that's going to be um, set in stone. In fact, if you watch a lot of screens right now, guys don't even make contact. Right. I mean, it's, it's basically sprint out, get in the way, yeah. kind of hope people run into each other. And, yeah. they, and if you watch a lot of bigs in, in, in the, the Division One level, they'll just, they just go right on down. You know, they'll set the screen and they turn and face and run down. Um, oftentimes, they'll walk right at their man and then rear pivot and post up in the paint mm-hmm. um it's not a not a rear turn roll or anything like that it's a right. they set the screen turn and face walk down step across the pin a lot of times what you're getting now is um the reason that that happens is that ball screen goes on the guy rolls but uh, the other opposite postman is a flasher up on the opposite block so the wingman comes off the ball screen kicks a good pass to the postman at the high post and the guy who set the screen has walked his or her man in stepped across and sealed and all the help is gone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there are lots of things to, to, to read, but the biggest thing on a slip, how is, how is the defender on the ball playing? If he's going to, if he's going to go high, you've got an opportunity to slip. And the passing angle from the guard to the big who's flashing high and then hitting the screener who's slipping, that angle's easier. You know, it, I, I've, easier. I've seen, you know, as a, as a guard, if, if I have the basketball and you're setting a screen for me and you slip, a lot of times there's a person who's bigger than I am with real long arms, high hands, and it can be hard to get the basketball to you right away off that slip. But if I can hit the other big – now that that angle is pretty clear, that passing angle is is better. And you know, you touched on, you know, the importance of teaching your players the high low game right there. And mm-hmm. you know, now now it's working right off a, a slip. And that's a lot of times what I see in the college and at the the pro level is, you know, it's not that slip that goes directly from ball handler to screener, but it's it's the pass to the next pass that exactly often gets exactly it done. exactly. Yeah. And I and I think that it, you're going to see a lot of teams. Um, and I'm thinking of, of a couple of local high school teams who've got some tremendous athletes who are six, six, three to six, six, and they ought to be posting up all the time. You know, they're, they, these kids, I, the, the two twins that I'm training in the summer, one of them is about six, seven, the other six, 11. And the six, seven kid can shoot the tar out of the ball, flat out can fill it. And I said, look, look we're going to complement that this year. And so I've really had fun teaching him all these different things. I said, now you and your brother get to play a high low game together. How cool is that? I mean, he, imagine a six eleven guy at the high post catching the ball and turning and passing it into, into the six seven kid. Well, that's a, that's an easy bucket. Um, but again, I think you're right. The angle is so much better coming from that, from the high post feed. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and again, when it comes to posting up is where I get frustrated when I'm, I'm watching players is, Where's your advantage? And if you can mm-hmm. shoot threes and everybody else can shoot threes, but you're the only one that can punish somebody in the post, mm-hmm. why are you shooting threes like everybody else? You shoot yeah. the same percent, like get down and, and punish somebody and, and take a high percentage shot that, you know, the, the point guard or somebody else who, who's smaller <laughs> isn't going to have that, that same advantage. I guess that's but one coach, of my biggest easier. frustrations with, with yeah. post play now. <laughs> but coach, it's easier. It's yeah. easier for me just to catch it. <laughs> yeah, it is. You're right. You're right. It is. I showed some kids and, and I have a, I have another great complimentary move that I think is great for post players that, that Steve Hondard from Calvin University made famous when he played. It was a, it was a, it was a pass, pass back and repost. And so, so the ball would go into him and he was a tremendous post player with great fundamentals, great feet. So the ball, and if you think about this, coaches, this is a great, great thing for your young kids to learn 
is the ball goes into the post and there's nothing there. Well, if, if, the, if the perimeter person relocates, sometimes there will be a shot if you throw it back out. Okay, but let's say they relocate, the ball goes back out. Nine times out of 10, the defender of a post player will just relax. They will go, oh, my player did, he, he got rid of the ball. Or he's, he's concerned about the turn and cross screen across, and, you know, like the old, old days of cross screens. But if the post player is going like he's going to walk, walk away, go, go away from the ball, and then step hard, for example, if you're on the, on the right side and looking at the hoop, step hard with your right foot, rear turn, and now catch that ball back, you've got a layup. The guy now might be under, the defender might be under the rim. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know so that if you catch it kick it back out walk at your defender step across with a big right foot and a rear turn now you've got him on your hind end again and now here's an easy entry <laughs> you've got to lay up 100 mate he became an all-american because he was good at shooting those no that's a you know the simple the simple things you know pass relocate kick back out mm-hmm. repost yeah. defense defense relaxing uh, all those subtle things can make a a huge difference. Um, last thing before, because I want to ask you some defensive questions. Mm-hmm. Is there a, a move or a read that you wish post players did more often? Wow, that's a really good question. I think, I think one of the things that I guess if I look at it, it would be that move that I just told you right there. I wish guys were better at that. I wish that they understood instead of thinking immediately once they give the ball up, you know, that they're, that that's the end of the possession. I want them to, to learn. And in fact, I even told Kara, this girl that I trained, you talk to your, talk to your wing players for this next tournament because they're playing out in Pennsylvania this, this um, next weekend. And I told her, look, talk to your, talk to your perimeter players and let them know what's going to go on. And her dad kind of jokingly said, yeah, sometimes when that ball goes in though and it goes back out, it ain't going back in again. <laughs> It's, it's going to be a launched. And I said, well, that's okay. It's a compliment to it. But ball goes in, ball comes back out, and then relocate, repost. I told her to make sure she uses that. I, I think that's a, that's a move that is more effective than what people give it credit for. Mm-hmm. No, it makes sense because you're, you're incorporating the on-ball and off-the-ball defense mm-hmm. in a matter of seconds, which is, which is tough to do. On the perimeter, what's one of the hardest things to do is a defensive closeout. Right. You, you right. know, especially you're on somebody, you get back into a gap and you close out again. I mean, that, that's mm-hmm. one of the hardest things in, in the game defensively, period, which is where I want to transition to now. So put your defensive, defensive cap on. Um, okay. Great stuff offensively, by the way. I love the fact that, you know, we got into such detail with, with some moves, some progressions, talked a lot about ball screens. Right. That, was, that was great stuff. So Thank you for listening to this episode. We really hope that you found it beneficial. If you did, please share it out with somebody. This was the episode for Modern Post Play. If you have a player that's big, 6'7", 6'8", whatever it might be for your level and where you're at, how can they become an all-around player while still using that size to their advantage and to your team's advantage? This was the episode for you, for that specific player and don't forget it's just part one or two tomorrow coach neil talks about defense how you can slow down a high level post player as an as an opponent as the opposing coach and he also digs into leadership and it's not going to be your general leadership talk he's touching on empathy listening understanding caring It's not the typical, I'm a leader, and that means I tell everybody else what to do and I'm supposed to have all the answers. No, it's about communicating, caring, learning what the needs are that other people have, how they see that they can help other people within the overall program. And then as a leader, how can we serve and guide them in the direction that we can positively and improve their life? Coach Neal talks about that. So don't miss that episode tomorrow. Thanks again. Dominate the details. Get after it today.